Well, I'm excited to have today uh, Ryan Folan to come and speak with us today. And I have to say, I so appreciate the support all of you have given. We have guests from 13 countries and 17 states, and I I've already seen uh, some of my uh, friends from Chile and Panama who uh, are on watching the show today, so it's greatly appreciated. And Ryan, we're excited to have you, and you've got like a super special background, Ryan. Ahoy, I feel like it's my time for the commercial, but I'm not a sponsor. Uh, <laughs> hey, Ryan, tell us a, a little bit about your background, because you really have a unique background, and I listened to some of your TED Talks and everything. So if you could, uh, please give the audience a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are now. Sure. So I'd say my entrepreneurial experience reflects the amount of freckles that I have. When I look back on my life, there are many of them, and they seem to sort of pop up out of nowhere, uh, but I own them all. I think understanding that I grew up in a family of educators is important. Both my parents were teachers, they became vice principals and then principals and then administrators and then taught administrators to be principals. I actually also work in higher education so the, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Now how I got to higher education is an interesting story because if you grow up with a family that are educators, you don't wanna be an educator because <laughs> that's kind of what you, what you know. But my path led me there. A big part of uh, being in a family of educators is that every summer you pick up and ship off to Catalina. So you see my sailboat here in the corner. If I'm not speaking or, or doing something, I'm trying to relax on a boat. Now for college, uh, I actually went to UCSB and I ended up with two degrees, one in business economics and one in dramatic art. And where that's important is the intersection between the two, because I love business, but I think that no matter what you say, it also depends on how you say it. And when you can engage people and entertain them at the same time, I think the messages deliver a lot faster. So out of college, I thought that I'd be a great film and TV producer, uh, but I found out real quick that it doesn't work as fast as you'd think so. So very eager to, uh, to get myself out of the broke turnship that I got myself into, I jumped into the mortgage industry. And that was when things were popping. I made more money than I knew what to do with. And of course, I spent it all. I got arrogant, I went for my own broker's license because I was convinced I could make more money than uh, I was making at the time. So I did that and then I started my own brokerage and then the market crashed. And it kind of uh, is, a, is a precursor to a lot of my experience, which is uh, rampant growth and then falling off of a cliff. And I really think that my expertise is derived from my experience. And though I just turned 40 uh, two weeks ago, I feel like I'm an old soul because I've fallen down quite a few times. What got me interested in higher education was taking what I learned through entrepreneurship and, and teaching it to uh, younger entrepreneurs. And I had a chance to launch and start UCI's first ever undergraduate um, entrepreneurship center. And so that was a rapid fire of taking everything I'd learned and, and incorporating it into more of a, a learning environment. And uh, throughout the entire time, I've built my own consulting and speaking business while in higher education. So I really uh, feel like I have a, a, a public agency and a private agency grasp, which again, allows me to have different feet in different pools to have a unique perspective. At a certain point when I thought I was getting fired from the university, because as an entrepreneurial program, we asked for more forgiveness than anything. Uh, and it ended up that I wasn't fired I was actually promoted to oversee 25 programs on campus because what we were doing was working because 
in a higher education environment, sometimes you do what has been done in the past. And so at this point, I realized that to protect myself, I needed to build a personal brand, but I didn't understand what that was. So like many people, I just searched and tried to find out the best way to build a brand. And so I write blogs and I tried to speak and I tried to do all the things that you're supposed to do, according to Google and experts. But I soon found out that I was doing the right things in the wrong order. And one of the biggest things that I, I wouldn't say forgot or neglected, but that I just wasn't comfortable with doing was getting comfortable being a bit vulnerable and showing the, uh, the underbelly of the process. You know, uh, if you do some research on branding, a lot of it is only show the good. And I started to realize that I was becoming, there were less chances for me to connect with people. And what I've learned now looking back is that people don't really care about your story of success. They care more about how they see themselves in your story. And so when I started to open up and when I started to share the challenges along the way of building my brand, uh, that's when people started to connect with me. And that's when I started to build an actual following. So I had uh, less than 200 people on all platforms. Uh, at the time, about five or six years ago, now I'm close to 375,000 followers across my platforms. Uh, I've written a book about this process and my learning lessons. And at the end of the day, on the back of the book, it basically says two words. It says, be human. And so I'm a big fan of, of simplicity and simply being you. And I think that comes through messaging, the content you create, and the digital footprint that you are um, creating with a bunch of digital breadcrumbs to hopefully lead people to a spot where they actually get to know you so that they have a choice of whether or not they want to like you. And ultimately, hopefully that creates trust and trust creates loyalty. So right now I'm focused on spreading what I've learned through speaking, uh, through writing, and really just being out there and being a voice, using my voice to participate in hard conversations that are happening right now um, and, and not being afraid of putting myself out there. By the way, I saw somebody put on the chat, is today your birthday? No, two weeks ago was, but- Two weeks ago. Yeah, it was my 40th, right? Big 40 and I had this big bash party planned, of course, right? But due to the pandemic, uh, the, the plans got scrapped. And so I actually came up with a, an interesting idea and that was to create something I've always wanted to create it. And I actually did it. It was a three month pandemic project now, if you, if you Google me or look me up, you're going to see stick figures everywhere. Um, stick figures are a big part of my brand. Funny backstory we can tie into later. But I've always had people asking me, can I get your stick figures on a mug or on a shirt or on some sort of product? And so I use the excuse of not having a birthday uh, to be able to launch a stick figure store. So that was my big birthday present to myself and the world. Uh, but stickfigure.store, I'm starting by selling masks and mugs. <laughs> so you're getting way more money through that than you would have gotten through birthday presents from your friends. <laughs> uh, yes, but actually it's a passion project and everything goes to charity to three uh, causes that I really believe in. Uh, one that supports underserved entrepreneurs, one that supports our oceans, and the other that does some great work with mental health. So uh, the, it's, it's, uh, it's exciting to see uh, how stick figures actually resonate with people because at the end of the day, it's just a bunch of circles and lines and dots, but there's something human about it. There's some, some sort of overarching understanding that we can all draw a stick figure uh, and, and messaging in that simple format just, just gets me excited. 
I have to tell you, what I liked about your book was the fact of people being vulnerable, because one of the questions I've been asking, and I've been interviewing people since I was 15, was tell me what was the biggest catastrophe in your life? What was the biggest mistake you ever made? Because especially when you're interviewing you know, successful CEOs, they never uh, like to talk about, uh, about those things. But yet I find that's what humanizes people. And that's where we really relate. We never really relate to people on their successes. It's typically the failures that they go through. So let's talk about why did you write this book? You know, I wrote this book because the lessons learned uh, in my life personally actually helped me to build an authentic brand, which is what I was after from the start. But as I started to build my brand, there was a disconnect between the image that I was putting out there and the person that I really was. And when there's a disconnect, there's anxiety, there's stress, you know, if you think about how you act towards your close friends or when you're around your parents or when you're around your, uh, you know, your partner or, or your wife, or your husband, or even your boss, like you might start to notice that you have these different, these different masks, these different faces that you sort of put on and that can be real stressful. And so as soon as I started to find a bit more clarity in who I was and owning all of these failures, um, some big failures, by the way, uh, that's when I started to get more comfortable in my own skin. And if I can help what I've gone through to let people know that uh, sharing what has gone wrong is actually something that will help people connect to you, then we can, we can all just be a little bit more human. We can all relate to each other a little bit better. And at the end of the day, it plays into an old school business paradigm, which is know, like, and trust. And I think that right now, the way people are building brands or historically the way you think is that you're showcasing your highlight reel. I'm going to, I'm going to pick all the good stuff that happens, but in actuality um, that's a high like reel because all you're trying to do is get people to like you and you're not really letting them get to know you. So I talk about a high like a highlight reel R E A L. And so if you look at my story, which, which I really open up in the book, you know, I was bullied as a kid. Uh, that was a, that was a hard, a way to feel belonging in the beginning of my life. Um, I had some real challenges out of college trying to find uh, what I thought would work, but didn't. Made a lot of money, lost a lot of money. Um, I was actually at one point uh, involved in a business that seven years after the fact, I got dragged into an FTC lawsuit, which uh, definitely was one of the most, um, was one of the most, I guess, I, I'm, the fact that I'm having a hard time finding a word for it is enough to say that it was one of the most traumatic and one of the most um, challenging periods that I've ever faced. Uh, devastating. Yes, devastating. And at the end of the day, that made me so fearful of putting myself out there because if you were to Google Ryan Folland, all you would see is just craziness. And it was scary. And so I actually stepped back and back and kind of tried to hide. But what I found is that owning it, being comfortable talking about it. I have so many lessons that I've learned through it. You know, I'm, I'm fine. Uh, I'm, I'm clear, but I have a clear conscience about being able to share that experience. And Mark, it's funny you talk about your, your question. If you look at Forbes magazine, right? Everybody wants to be on the cover of Forbes magazine. Yeah. When you interview and you're on the cover of Forbes magazine, it's not like, Hey, how successful are you? And tell me about the great stuff. They get into some deep, dark secrets. And, and that, that is the key because when you can open up to somebody, there's a certain level of trust that you have with them. And, and it is scary and there's a particular way to do it. 
So the book is really a way of sharing first, being vulnerable. So you see what that looks like. And if you read the first part of the book and you understand my experience, you might be like, oh my gosh, I feel you on some of these levels. Like there's some related, some relatability. Then we talk about why it's so important to ditch the act. We bring in examples from all different industries and then there's actually how to do it. So you have worksheets, there's particular steps. And I think that if we look at what we're doing, we might find that we're doing the right things in the wrong order. And that just becomes a problem when your sponsor is talking about leaking and you know, you'll just have your brand leak right out of you. Uh, if you do things in an order, that's not, uh, not one that's proven to kind of work. So let's talk about some of the things because I read through your entire book and, and I thought all the worksheets, all, all of it was really interesting and felt very helpful. Why is sharing your failures and weaknesses important? Because, you know, a lot of times people are really afraid that if people see their weaknesses, whether it's relationships or on the job or your employees see it, then they'll think less of you. So and you illustrate throughout the book why uh, people become even more successful from that. So, and, and I think that's why Rocky, right? The movies, the series of Rocky movies, right? We see his flaws and we fall in love with the flaws as much. So talk about that. Yeah, I really think that it comes down to your own perception in your mind is maybe altered because what happens to you is so, so personal. Here's a little thought experiment. And this is something we outline in the book, which, which ties into what we call the exposure resume. Think about something that you haven't shared with the world, right? Essentially your skeleton in the closet. And we all have one that's probably some closer than others in the back of our mind, or we've just pushed it and buried it away. If you think about just the act of sharing it, it's very intimidating. But if you think about how people will actually react, if you open up to them, imagine in a one-on-one -on -one situation, like how would they react? And when you start to go through that process, when you actually open up and share what's going wrong or what went wrong, usually the first thing that comes out from someone else is empathy, is actually understanding. It's not like they're just gonna point a finger in your face and, and yell at you. Like if you look at your closest family and friends, when you share some stuff with them about things that are not going wrong, they usually just wanna give you a hug and they, and they wanna say it's gonna be okay and they wanna share their own personal stories about how that was or wasn't relatable to them in their life. Speaking of ditching the act, I have some weed whacker going on. I'm gonna close the door <laughs> in real time. Okay. And you know what? We've all had the weed whackers come and the gardeners appear when we're on a live event. So that in fact is an, is an opportunity to show how like ditching the act, I don't think anybody judges me, but they all are like, oh gosh, uh, he's in the hot seat and something's happening out uh, around him. But to your question, I think the reason why it creates more relatability is because we all have a lot more failure than successes. And this sort of pose, I want to pose a question back to the group. And if you want to answer in the chat, I'd love to see your answer. Do you think people hire you for either your experience or for your expertise? I'd love to get feedback from you here. So type in the chat if you think people hire you for your experience or your expertise. If you drop it in the chat, uh, I'd love to know. And we'll print out that chat for you later and I'll make sure you get a copy of it. Sure. Well, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to tell you my answer. I think people hire you for your experience, but we think that they hire us for our expertise. Now, here's the thing is that your expertise is rooted in your experience. 
And if you are, if you are fresh into the market and you have no experience yet, you are an expertise, then, then there's a disconnect. Uh, I see in the chat because people trust us and like us, but can you really get to know somebody if all you're seeing is the, is the curated, perfect content, perfect pictures, perfect bio. And I don't think that you can really get to know somebody like that. In the book, we talk about an authentic long form bio. I challenge everybody to look at your bio. If I were to like Google search you and find your bio, does it read like this? I'm amazing, I did this, I'm kick ass, kick ass at this, this went well, I did this many percentage over percentage per year, this is how awesome I am, here's my degrees, and I'm awesome. Like typically that's how bios end up reading. And so one of the things that we talk about is how can you find these stories that have relatability that shows your experience and the lessons learned for your expertise, and how can you weave that in? Because when you see somebody go through a challenging time and see how they react to it, you actually get to know them. Now, let's see, somebody's saying, uh, uh, Julio's saying, it depends. If you have too much experience, it might reveal how old I am. <laughs> Better liked than trusted. But at the end of the day, if you just put yourself out there as being perfect, you're setting yourself up for being kind of on your own little perfect island. The more comfortable you get with, with, with just these small and medium-sized moments, the more relatable you are. And I want to make a clarification here because when I say expose the skeletons in your closet, sometimes we leap to the real skeletons, the things that we're super scared of. In the book, I talk about five levels of exposure. And if you actually want to get people to know you, which is the first step in them getting to trust you, it's about sharing the little silly things that you normally wouldn't share because you don't think anybody cares. There are things like yesterday I was eating chips and salsa while at my computer and it got to a point to where my little roller ball on my mouse wasn't working anymore because my fingers are too greasy. And I just tweeted that out because I thought it was kind of funny and it was sort of a moment that like, I, I obviously got a little bit sloppy in my desk. I had people emailing me back that they love chips and salsa. I have people tweeting me back, talking about what they were doing at that moment. And it just opens up the opportunity for people to connect with you. You know, I got a question for you about this, Ryan. Yes. Uh, is this, and it just occurred to me as I was hearing you talk about this, will this uh, fly in other cultures? So I, I really um, wonder how well this will go in the Asian culture where admitting weakness or uh, even the Latin culture where emitting weakness, especially as a man, doesn't, it doesn't fly very well. So, yeah, I, are, and you speak around the world, am I correct? So maybe you're no, maybe you see things differently. So talk about that a little bit as well. Does it work in all cultures? So every culture obviously is gonna be different, but within each culture, it's comprised of humans. And at the end of the day, um, the more you get to know someone, the more you trust them. Now, specifically in the Asian culture, which you mentioned, there is a, a stigma around, uh, around communicating vulnerability. Uh, like there really is, uh, even to the extent that um, some individuals won't go get counseling because that's looked down upon. In the book, we talk about how important it is to understand a cultural lens to this whole thing, but I keep going back to relatability. So you know, having trouble with technical issues is, is, re is relatable. It's something that you can share that doesn't necessarily show that you're weak. 
um, things that we all deal with, like even challenges that we have with other individuals or challenges that we have with um, outside economic forces. There's a certain amount of camaraderie that happens, I believe globally, when we're all going through something together. One concept that I think applies to this is the idea of going first. You have to have somebody go first for somebody else to go second. And if you are a leader or you're a manager, and when somebody asks you, how are you doing? And no matter what, no matter how you're doing, you tell them, I'm doing great. I'm awesome. I'm doing good. Yes, things are great. But secretly, maybe they're not going amazing. Then you're losing the opportunity to give permission to the other person to engage with you. So culturally and globally, it could be as simple as when somebody asks you, how are you doing? Instead of just giving the knee jerk, oh, I'm great. Things are good. Actually letting people know whether they're good, bad, or maybe even not going well. And what you will find is it allows that person to be like, you know, me too. And so this idea of being courageous to go first actually lets other people go second. Now, my co-author is an Asian American and he speaks to his experience. And a big challenge for him was this, this divide between being himself and culturally not. But he's found success in being extremely vulnerable um, because there's someone who is now sharing what they wish they could share. And, and he has over 10 million reads on his content because people uh, appreciate the fact that he's being so vulnerable. Now, let me also have a disclaimer here that you can be too vulnerable. You can go yeah. overboard. You can overshare. And what's somewhat ironic about this book writing process is that when you write a book with somebody, you really get to know them. And um, I realized as a process of writing this book and, and I saw our relationship change because I became more comfortable with being myself. And so I literally wrote a book and lost a business partner because I left the company um, shortly after the book was published. Now that's embarrassing. That makes me feel uneasy. That makes me feel weird. But being vulnerable like that, I think we've all had people that we've worked with and then parted ways with and have had to deal with that. So the, I think the fact that this book helped me to realize my mission, vision, value goals, and that they were maybe on different paths from my business partner at the time is a testament to the power of really being vulnerable and, and understanding what it is that makes you happy, that makes you tick. I think we surround ourselves with people that maybe aren't the best for us all the time, but we do this almost just to kind of keep up and act. But as soon as you're able to be more comfortable and really put yourself out there, then you really get to choose your own path. So you're not in partnership with Leonard anymore? No, no, he, um, he's running Influence Tree. I left, I just walked away. Um, I, I have uh, the things that I'm really excited about doing and, and they, sort of, they sort of parted ways with, with what he's doing. Uh, well, now I'm hoping my girlfriend doesn't write a book like yours, so that way I end up uh, one less girlfriend. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's talk about, uh, and you mentioned this, explain the exposure resume and the process you go through. So we all know what a resume is. It is putting all of the best things possible on that one sheet of paper to sort of wow someone. Well, if you've ever hired anybody and you've looked at hundreds of thousands of resumes, they all kind of look the same. And it doesn't seem as impressive when everyone is just putting their, first, their best foot forward. The exposure resume is a concept of flipping the resume on its head. Everything that you left off of the resume 
is fair game for the exposure resume. And what you do is you think about what is something that at first I might not necessarily seem proud of or something that I'm afraid of sharing. You think of that moment, that one time that this business failed because of whatever. You write down that instant and then you ask yourself, what did I truly learn from that? And how have I changed as a person? And what you do is you build these, the context around the learning from the experiences that went wrong. And then you stack those up into what we call your exposure bank, literally like a bank account of these different situations that you're not sure about sharing, but you've already teased out the lessons, the experience that it's given you and how that adds to your expertise. So the exposure resume is literally finding all the things that went wrong and then teasing out the lessons and how they've made you who you are. And when you share something in context of learning and lessons, it helps to highlight your experience. You know, I work in higher education and an interesting example from, uh, from, from a college grad. If you have two college graduates, one with straight A's the entire time, the other actually at one point got on academic probation, brought themselves up to C's, maybe graduated with a solid B average. Those two employees potentially have a lot different experience when it comes to the real world and resilience. So if you have somebody who's always done well and hasn't been challenged and has never almost failed a class, well, they might not be as experienced as a person that on paper doesn't look as successful but it's successful because they have that experience. And that's why first generation students and students from low income families, students that have to work through real challenges to get to where somebody else might get just because they've had a, a bit more privilege and maybe haven't been challenged as much. Those are two different individuals. And I think that the stronger of the two is somebody who's actually faced challenges. And if you hide those challenges and you only showcase the good stuff, then you're not giving people a chance to relate to that. Uh, let's talk about, uh, you, you mentioned uh, sharing your vulnerabilities, which you've been talking about right now. How do you do that in a way that doesn't make you look weak or incompetent? I think that's what people are afraid of. They don't want to look incompetent. And, you know, like, it's just like a first date. You're not going to tell the first date about all the bad things about yourself. You're waiting till they're sucked <laughs> in and then they find out uh, that, you know, you're insane. So, right. But, but also, let me use that dating example. If you were completely a different person on the first date, uh, and then it, it can go wrong very well. Or if your profile is like a, a photo of you from 10 years ago and they show up and it's like, that's, oh, this is true. Disconnect, okay. Yeah. The way that you don't, the way that you expose the things that have gone wrong to not look weak is to do it slowly and progressively. Okay. Now you might have like friends that you text with, and friends that you have close communication with, not public communication, but like, oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe what happened to me today. Or like, I literally spilled coffee all over myself. Or I'm actually not doing well today. I'm super tired. I'm frustrated. I just need to walk away from the computer. Little tiny things that you might share to a good friend. If you gather the courage and the strength to start to share the little things, just these little ones, what you're going to find is somebody else is going to be like, Oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe the other day I was working out and I realized that my shirt was inside out for the entire time. And it sort of becomes this like, oh, we're okay with sharing little things. And so we call those level one exposures. 
if you do something that is from bumping into a wall to washing your AirPods, which I have done, <laughs> you wouldn't believe the engagement and camaraderie and, and connection that I build with people when I share with them that I washed my AirPods. Now, on one end, it, it might seem silly, but those people are rooting for me. And then after a few days in Rice, when they actually worked again and I shared it with everybody, everybody's like, oh my God, this is amazing. And so it's bringing people into the little small moments that make you human. And that's how people get to know you. And I truly feel like the people that follow me, you get to know me. And so part of my larger story are some of these big dramatic events. If you go to my bio on my website, ryan.online, and you look at my bio, I don't hold anything back. You can find it there. So it's about creating relatability through small moments of small vulnerability that allows people to get to know you so that they're not just turned off by, oh, this guy was investigated by the FTC. That's not the first thing that comes to mind. They know that there's more context behind it. And so again, there's strategy in how you release this. And it's interesting in the book, we, we share examples from Winnie Sun, who's a, a, an extremely successful financial planner. And in that industry and in finance, it's typically people are very buttoned up. And she's someone who is even of, a, uh, of Asian American descent. And culturally, she's breaking those norms, but she's connecting with people. We talk about uh, somebody who actually robbed a bank and went to jail. And after he got out of jail, he was literally like depressed, didn't know what to do with himself. Like, how can I, how can you come back from going to jail for robbing a bank? He actually ended up learning growth hacking and used his branding of the fact that like a bank, he used the branding of the bank robbery and his sort of willingness to share that to, to brand himself as somebody who's a great growth hacker. So again, I'm not saying go rob banks. I'm not saying go do things. Don't, don't be the culture that's like, I can't wait to fail so that I can share it. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying share the small things that happen along the way. Like imagine, imagine your entire life in stick figure format from being a little kid all the way to like where you're an adult, stick figure format, right? These little sections of your life. I believe that what we tend to do is look at the, the most recent stick figure or maybe two or three back from a couple years where we're like latched on to that vision that we have of ourselves. When it comes to a personal brand, I believe everyone already has a personal brand. You may have heard that before. If you don't think you have a brand, you're just not participating in the narrative. You're not putting digital breadcrumbs and you're not using words and, and actions and telling stories that reinforce who you want to be. One of, I think, the most powerful exercises in our book is called the rapid reflection discovery process. Yeah. And it truly- and explain that. Yeah. So I believe a brand is not what you think your brand is. <laughs> I'm sorry. But like, if you're like, I'm this, this is who I am. Okay. But that's not your brand. Now, if I talk to everybody that knows you and I say, Hey, what, um, you know, wh what is that person like? They're going to be like, Oh my gosh, let me tell you about that person. Talk, 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 whatever that person says, that's not entirely you either. It's actually the intersection your brand is the intersection between what you want to be known for and what other people see you as. And the way that you start, the way that I help people start the branding process, because again, you got to start somewhere, is take post-it notes. Always have them handy. 
two color post notes, although those look like the same color in, <laughs> in here. Uh, let's do this. Two color post notes. You write down all the things that you want to be known for. Post a note for this. I want to be known as a speaker. I want to be known as somebody who sales. I want to be known as, I want to be known as, I want to be known as all these people. And then what you do is you go out to your friends, your family, your coworkers, people you know, even maybe on social media and say, I'm doing an exercise. Can you tell me words or phrases that you associate with me? It's anonymous, send it to this, my friend, or, 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 or just you know, some, some anonymity behind it. And then you gather all the data. So imagine you have 20 or 30 post-it notes of all the things that you wanna be known for. And then you transcribe on post-it notes all the things that people see you as. So you have these two different big clusters and you go, well, I wanna be known as a speaker and this person thinks of me as a keynote speaker and that person thinks of me as an edge. And, and so you start to pull these, these, these two visions of you and you'll see three things. There's still gonna be some outliers. There's people who think about you in a way that you don't wanna be thought about. There's things that you wanna be known for that nobody thinks about. And then in the middle, there are going to be things that people think about you, the way they describe you, the way they know you, and things that you wanna be known for. And that intersection is what you can grab onto. So do because you think people will be honest with you about this? If they're able to submit it anonymously, absolutely. And it's also a data. You, you don't want to do a data set of one, right? You want to do a data set of, of a few. And when you get people to give you input, this is like, what do you see me as in the world based on what you see? And then you go, what do I want to be known as? You collect the data, you put them together into these different groups. It's easier to convince people of something that they already know than it is to convince them of something that you're, you've just decided you're going to come up with. I'm now going to be a podcaster but you don't have a podcast. Nobody knows of you that. So building a brand is an evolution, but if you start at the intersection, it gives you a place to start. So let's talk about uh, building a brand because I think that's one of the primary reasons everybody wanted to come on in here. And you've done a great job and a, you know, it wasn't like you're an overnight success, but it didn't really take you that long. Five year, uh, five year overnight success. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't, but it wasn't like it was a 20 year overnight success. So what's the mistake people make when they're trying to brand themselves? And everybody talks about that. What, what's the mistakes they make? So one is not being aware of what people already think about their brand, because that's the first place for a big disconnect. If you're like, this is what I am and here's my brand and here's my LinkedIn profile, here's all this stuff. And people are like, what? That doesn't really jibe with the person that I know. That's a mistake. So getting feedback in that initial process and knowing that you don't just like, you know, you don't just create a brand in isolation, essentially. Number two, you don't have a website. It's unbelievable how many people don't see that real estate, the new land grab is online. If you have your own company, great. Do you have your own private personal website? No. I encourage everyone to get their own website. If you can lock in your domain name as your name, great. Another mistake is that you have a website, but you don't have a relatable bio. For a long time, I was writing these articles and creating content, yet if you went back to my website, I wasn't opening up. I wasn't giving you a chance to, let, to get to know me. As you're building a brand, people are taking the information that they can find 
it's not like, Mark, you didn't, you didn't knock on my door and be like, Ryan, can we talk about you for a second? Like, like let's talk about it. Uh, I don't really know you. Like, no, I've put enough out there so that you can do a slight to aggressive cyber stalk and there's enough information for you to learn about me. So I would, I would categorize that as not really sharing uh, enough about you. If your profile picture is 10 years old, eh, maybe think about updating it. If, if you don't talk about the dogs that you have or the love for your family or your love for hiking, you, you might be less, less personable. And I think people more than ever now don't really want to do business with businesses. They want to do business with people. And if you have a job, you might not think that you need a personal brand, but a personal brand just means that you are taking a, a participatory role in what you want to be known for. And that can help um, you to accelerate within your own career. So let's recap the mistakes that people make. One is that they don't get feedback from their peers as they're starting to communicate what their brand is. Number two, they don't have a website of their own or they don't have a, a bio that really reflects who they are. Now, quick note with the websites, it's hard to get a .com these days with your name. But there are things like Dot online. Like my website is Ryan dot online. Like there's enough opportunity. It's a market grab to grab a domain that works for you. So not reaching out to your peers, including them in the process, not having a website or some home base for people to find you and more information about you. And um, the third I would say is people get excited and then they create content and then they stop. Here's a question for the group. You don't, have to, you don't have to type this in the chat because I don't want you to feel vulnerable, but you can if you want and everybody will relate to you, okay? When, how many months has it been since you physically wrote a blog and published it? How many months has it been since you physically posted and published a blog? I ask people that question and it's surprising because, okay, two months ago, a couple days ago, <laughs> 492 months ago, it's all over the board. But the point I want to make is that if you're not creating content on a regular basis, then you're not building a brand. I've been drawing stick figures for five years and people know me for stick figures because I've done it consistently. So if you're worried about building a brand and you're stuck on, stuck on starting, evaluate yourself and where to start rapid reflection discovery process. If you're not sure what to do for a bio, the book has a, a really interesting template that can help you tease out stories from your life that are relatable. Get a website, get somewhere, some home foundation for you to do, and then create content consistently. Those are some of the mistakes that I think people make. They don't get feedback from other people on their brand. They don't have a home base for themselves. They're not opening themselves up and they're not creating consistent content. How long did it take you to make six figures creating yourself as a brand? Well, um, I'd say in my third year of building my brand, but that's kind of cheating because it also uh, was tagged on to my employment at UCI. Um, in my fourth and fifth year of speaking, that's when I started to gain significant traction. Um, I was able to call $10,000, $20,000 keynotes, and that's where things took off for me. But that was a very challenging thing to get to. I branded myself as a speaker. I've got a World of Speakers podcast. I was, you know, like really hit the pavement and grinded so that if you search for me, 
little digital breadcrumbs or digital freckles that you see, you can't help but realize this guy is a speaker. He's serious. He's, well, and he's got that. Well, let's check him out. He's got that. So it really builds up. So I'd say, I'd say definitely three to four years before my revenue off of my brand hit that six figures. Well, we have a woman here that I had on and she's from Philadelphia named Jen Gruber. And Jen was the international speaker of the year. She's not on the show today, but she's been as, as a guest of mine. She's written a couple of books. And she said it took her about five years. And now she's a keynote for Fortune 500s all the time. But I admire her because she kind of stuck with it. And yeah. she also talks about being your authentic self. And, and I wonder, you've been speaking so much. How do you manage to stay authentic? You know where you started and you know where you're going. Okay. I know my core brand at, at the heart. I know what that is. And I know where I want to go. And those two things alone have helped keep me on track. The fact that I'm speaking about authenticity um, helps me to be myself. <laughs> um, I don't really second guess and I've gotten more comfortable with, with sharing the process and the journey. And I think that right now there's an interesting digital switch and flip before the conferences and, and these Fortune 500 companies, they would have the audience and they would look for the speakers. Maybe it's in a five-star hotel, it's the environment, it's the exotic trip, it's this conference. But now things have flipped. And as a speaker, it's important that you have a platform where you can bring an audience because that's what uh, these event planners are looking for. So I think that it's constantly changing, but what doesn't change for me is the core message and that's how I am able to stay authentic. Yeah, and you have great energy. So uh, when you inventoried yourself, what were your greatest skills and what were things that you were surprised that people said wasn't, wasn't strengths of yours? Well, and, and I want to clarify, it's not necessarily strengths, but it's what they, what they associate with me. Right, yeah. And so one thing that I realized is that people didn't really associate me with my love for the ocean or sailing. And for me, like that's a big part of my life. Like I'm literally headed to Catalina tomorrow. And I realized that I wasn't really posting pictures or sharing my experiences around it or anything like that. And so what I started to do was incorporate sailing visually uh, in conversation in what I'm doing. And you do that enough. And then people start to get you start to recognize you for it. One of the challenging things that you're going to have is that surprisingly, you might find a lot of connections. Well, people think I'm a speaker and I want to be a speaker. People think of me as high energy and yeah, I'm kind of like a human firecracker. People think about this and me. The challenge comes in reducing them down to just three core things. Uh, I know everybody's good at math, but I'm going to reteach you how to count. One, two, three, many. In Spanish, uno, dos, tres, mucho. In Korean, Hana dual set. I forget how to say many in Korean. But the idea is that, Mark, if you're like, Ryan, tell me what you're all about. And I'm like, well, I like to sail. I like to do this. I like to speak. I like to do this. I like to do this. And then like, you just, you overwhelm people. Yeah. And so I think that it's okay to be all those things, but it's not okay to initially present yourself as all those things. So we challenge you to take all the feedback and say like, what is something professionally that you want to own? What is something... Um, from a personality standpoint that you want to own and what is something from a hobby standpoint or something that's like makes you human. And so if you ask me what I'm all about, I could tell you that professionally I'm a speaker. 
I could tell you that personality wise, I'm kind of outgoing and, and, and high energy. Uh, I just, I drive off of that. And then for fun, if I'm not speaking, I'm sailing. And it's enough for you to start that relationship. And then if you want to find out more, I've left enough digital freckles for you to connect those dots. How, how often do you have your podcast? You know, so I've, I have two podcasts. One is the world of speakers. Uh, we just hit 80 episodes and it's actually sponsored by speaker hub, which is a platform where you can showcase yourself as a speaker. We typically do one to two per month. My three, one, three challenge podcast. That is a weekly podcast. And, um, it's, it's a genesis off a radio show that I had for three years, but we're on episode 46, 47 right now. So that's a weekly episode. But more than once a week, it, once a week is enough. Would you you know, your, cadence, your cadence is up to you. It's, it's totally up to you. What's I mean, more what have more, you found successfully? I mean, like, what, obviously, if you thought, hey, doing it three times a week, you'd probably, and, they, and your audience connected with that, you'd maybe do it three times a week. But you picked once a week. What was the reasoning for that? Because it was manageable for me. So let me take a step back for just a second. When you look at creating content, there's a misnomer because people think that they need to be on all platforms. People think they need to make videos, but I also need a podcast. No, I need a blog. Maybe I can treat my Facebook page as a blog, like blah, 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 blah. I stop people and I say, what do you enjoy doing? Like, what do you physically like to do? Do you like to write? Do you like to be on videos? Do you like to edit videos? Do you like to make images? Like, do you like the sound of your voice? Because if you, if you reverse engineer the content that you make, based on what you enjoy doing, there's a good chance you'll continue to do it. So for me, this 313 method that I have, and, and you can Google that, it's a way to take what you say and what you are in three sentences and one sentence and ultimately three words. Because a part of your brand is being able to be brief, bright, and, and start the conversation. So I love interviewing people. And so a weekly for me is just like energizing. For the world of speakers, uh, I also love it, but that's sponsored. And so I have to work with the sponsor in, in a cadence that works for them. I think it's more important that you're creating content that you enjoy. And I think it's most important that you're creating expectations for yourself that you can actually continue. I'd rather somebody do one podcast a month for an entire five years than try to jump into it and do like one or two or three every week. It comes down to you. This is your personal brand. Okay, I'm gonna, you can do it or you can hire somebody to do it for you. <laughs> Those are the two options. So um, a, a lot of times shy people come up to me and will ask uh, the question of, I, you know, I really wanna put myself out there, but I, I'm kind of afraid to go. What, what's your advice to people who are shy? You know, they have a lot to offer and they wanna offer it, but they're really afraid to take that leap. What do you tell them? Two words, start small, that's it. Now what's really cool is, is in the book, we know that we were gonna get people who are introverted, who are shy, who are naturally not gonna to wanna to put themselves out there. We actually have given ample examples. That sounds nice, ample examples of actual word for word things that are level one exposures. Things like, things that you can physically say that resonate with you that you can sort of throw out there. Because here's what happens, when you take a small step and you admit that you spilt your coffee 
And then other people reply that they just did the same thing and that it's going to be okay. And then they give you cleaning advice and then other tips. And then somebody DMs you later with some sort of special solution that they made at home. Or you talk about how your tomatoes are dying. And then you get all kinds of help and support from all these gardeners on Twitter. And now you have a garden that produces fruit or vegetables. Uh (laughs) But the idea is once you get some, like you cannot convince an introverted person to go out there and and share their weaknesses and think it's going to be okay. But you can maybe encourage them just to try it a little bit, just a little small one, something that's, it's not going to make you look stupid. It's not, this is just a human element. And then the feedback that they get from it, they're going to be like, oh my gosh. And then they might try it again. And they might try level two exposure and then a level three and maybe eventually level four. Level five is what not to share. Let me give you a personal example. I I did three consecutive speaking gigs in three different cities. And that's gnarly with flights and everything like that. And I was actually uh, texting Leonard, my business partner at the time. And I said, I am exhausted. I don't know why I do this. Like it was exciting, but I feel miserable. And he replied, you need to tweet that out. Like this was just something to a friend that I was texting. And he said, you need to tweet that out. That is a, that watch what happens. So I tweeted that out. I'm exhausted after three flights and three days and three cities. Uh, I'm not sure how to recharge that single tweet like blew up because now everybody had a chance to contribute. I got all kinds of like lotions and potions and suggestions and video people to follow and all these different things. It gave them a chance to contribute. Don't forget that when you are, let's use the word vulnerable, but I'm putting air quotes because it, let's say that you're asking for a little bit of help. I'm stressed out. What are some ways that you deal with stress? Uh, I, I wish I had a good song to listen to right now to get me motivated. What motivates you? When you let your audience interact with you, they're able to drive value to you. And if your brand is just a one-sided relationship and all you're doing is just like giving, 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 but you're never allowing people to help you out, then you're missing that relationship key to it. So don't think of it as much as like being vulnerable and like putting yourself out there as much as like being brave enough to ask for help. And the other day I was exhausted and I was like something similar, but I'm like, it's past three o'clock and I'm debating whether or not I need another coffee. And just everybody chirped in with their comments. So it's these low level things that just proves to you that people are there to communicate. And here's another thing. If you're tweeting out, I'm on a podcast, you'll probably get zero response. If you tweet out a thought leadership piece that you posted on LinkedIn, people will be like, they're just going to skip over it. You have to find a balance between personal sharing and professional sharing. And most people are like this, all professional all the time. But if you're all professional all the time, then it's like, why would I engage with you? Like there's, there's nothing for me to contribute. But as soon as you let down your guard a little bit or ask for questions or ask for some feedback, everybody's excited to jump in and, and there's like an actual call to action for them to get involved. So a lot of people don't see traction, uh, traction as far as people liking. I have a concept called the invisible like. People like your content, but they're not gonna tell you because they don't wanna put themselves out there. The invisible like are people that see your posts, know who you are, but they're just intimidated to, to, to get engaged. I called out people on LinkedIn. I'm like, um, there was a, somebody who said, I'm not getting any traction on my post, blah, 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 blah. And I replied like a friendly blast. And I'm like, stop worrying about everybody else. 
like focus on what you're doing because people will see that over time. And the worst thing you could do is stop creating content. That person ended up privately messaging me and said, you're so right. I've literally been following your stick figures for the last three years and I've always been afraid to click like. He's from the Czech Republic. We continue the conversation. He almost landed me two different gigs in the Czech Republic. He ended up flying over to San Francisco when I was racing sailboats in San Francisco. I took him sailing in the bay. We're now good friends, all because I got him to admit that he was invisibly liking my stuff. But if I would have not continued to post because nobody liked it, then no one would eventually see it. A lot of building a brand is just forging your own path. And, and don't, don't worry so much. Worry in five years if you're still sharing the same consistent message. You know, that, that brings me up to uh, something you mentioned in your book. You mentioned not modeling oneself after someone who is five to 15 years into the journey. What do you mean by that? And who should someone model themselves after? Great question. If you are, say, an entrepreneur and you want to be known as like somebody who's, who's hustling and who's really making things happen, is, is, is prime for investment and your ideas are going to be great. And you're like, you know what? I want to be like Gary Vee. Maybe not as foul mouth, but I want to be like Gary Vee. Gary Vee's everywhere. Everybody loves Gary Vee. Gary Vee's speaking all over the world. Oh, man. I don't have as many followers as Gary Vee. I can't produce videos like Gary Vee. And you set yourself up for this disappointment. Gary Vee was one of the first adopters on YouTube talking about wine every day for five years. Like, like you can't compete with that. Like you can't turn back time. There's no comparison. So if you have someone in your industry and you're like, oh, look at what they're doing. Look at all the likes and responses that they have on their LinkedIn, man. And then you start to have this self negative talk and it'll end up you not hitting the publish button. It'll be another 497 months until you post. Here's what you can do. Find three individuals that have brands that you respect, that you like their message, you like how they portray themselves, you like the content that they, that they have. So for me, for example, Tim Ferriss, I love Tim Ferriss. Tony Robbins, Tony Robbins got me starting with stick figures in the first place. And then Keith Ferrazzi, the, the, the great organizational leader that uh, his book, Never Eat Alone, and his book, Who's Got Your Back, and his newest book, Leading Without Authority, these are like, I resonate with him. He actually wrote the foreword in our book, which is super exciting. But I think that happened because I put out the fact that I liked his material originally. Instead of saying, I want to be like Gary Vee, or I want to be like Keith Ferrazzi, or I want to be like Guy Kawasaki. You choose three different individuals, and then you look at the way that they communicate, the types of videos that they make, what kinds of posts are getting the most engagement, what, what does their website look like? And you can start to draft. It's called drafting. Like it's a NASCAR thing. It's, you know, doesn't work as, it works with sailboats as well, but you just want to be on the right side. You, they've paved the way. And so think about it like my brand is kind of like if Tim Ferriss and Tony Robbins and if Keith Frazzi had a baby, right? <laughs> like, that, like that would be my brand. And so it gives you a goal. It gives you some guidance. It gives you a path but you're not saying I want to be just like them because you're going to set yourself up for some serious disappointment. So you talk about, uh, how, about figuring out what makes you unique, but what if nothing makes you unique? Like what if, or, and then that's in your own mind. Like other people say, oh, of course everybody has something unique, but what if you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, shit, there's nothing unique about me. 
How do you? I would. I would. I would challenge. I would love the question. I would challenge with, what problem do you solve? What problem do you want to solve? Now I'm a. I'm going to be aggressive for a second, and I'm going to look everyone in your virtual eyes, Uh and I'm going to say, I'm I'm setting this up because you're going to be upset at me. Nobody cares what you do. Nobody cares what you do. I, I honestly believe that nobody cares what you do, but I do believe that people care about the problem that you solve. We're selfish. Like we're, we're selfish, right? I mean, yeah. Mark, people pay you money because you solve their problems. Your sponsors talked about the problems that you have come over here and we'll help solve them. So if you want to know what helps you stand out, it's the problem that you solve. And in this 313 challenge that I have, one of my favorite things to do, and believe it or not, I have a buzzer and a bell on my podcast. <laughs> it's like, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's almost like a game show. I ask people, can you tell me the problem that you solve in one sentence with zero mention of what you do? And nine out of 10 people just tell me what they do. No, no. Don't tell, hypothetically, let's just pretend nobody cares what you do. Can you tell me the problem that you solve? And if you can articulate a single problem without any mention of what you do, if I have that problem, you better damn well know I'm going to want to know more about it. And I I don't even know what you do. So I, I think that what makes you unique is the problem that you solve. So if you don't think that you have anything that's special, maybe you should find a problem that you're passionate about solving. It could be philanthropic. It could be just being there for your family members. But I think our personalities tend to want to solve problems. But it's when we focus on one problem and solve it really well, that's when you get known for something. That's when you come top of mind. I agree with you 100%. And I think that's a good way to end the show. I thank you so much for uh, spending time with all of us and sharing uh, information about your book and what you've learned along the way. I hope you have a great rest of your weekend. And again, I look forward to seeing all of you next week uh, when we have the Best Business Minds shows next week. Have and, a great and, weekend. And Mark, do you mind if I just wrap it up? Yeah, yeah, sure. Here is the deal. Let me give it to you real. The key to connection is to learn to reveal because you are not perfect and neither am I. And that is the exact reason that we see eye to eye because everybody's different, but we are all the same. To be perfectly imperfect is how you win the game. And if you only showcase good and do not share the bad, you will miss connections that you never knew you had. Love it. (laughs) Enjoy your weekend. Thanks again. And thanks, everybody, for participating.